Well, let's welcome you back here to Systematically Wild, and I'm happy to have Kevin Luco back on the show with me here, Kevin. And uh, um, let's start this week. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of stuff that's going on around there, including a, a, a picture that you saw on Twitter this week. I know that was very depressing to you about the uh, former Iowa, or excuse me, Minnesota Wild guy playing in another uniform out there. But let's begin with the Iowa Heartlanders uh, this week, Kevin. They have not been the, the star of our show uh, for quite a while, but boy, a nice week for the club out there as they come away with two victories. Yeah, like you said, they were definitely the highlight. Um, that was two big wins they, they had on the road in Kalamazoo. And, you know, you hope that that's something that can catapult this team to great things and a chance to climb their way up to a playoff spot in their division. You know, what I liked about them too, Kevin, was is that great goaltending. You know, Drew, Drew DeRitter has really proven to be the real deal. And, and what's so interesting about it is, you know, you have Hunter Jones down there, and then it's Peyton Jones that was a big star. He was slumping a little bit, but got an opportunity to move up to the AHL, and DeRitter has just come in there and said, this is my net, and you're not taking it from me. And, and I love that. Love the attitude of the young kid. Yeah, he had, for his efforts, he was named the ECHL goaltender of the week. And, you know, DeRitter was a decent goalie for Michigan State for three, four years. You know, the teams weren't that great in front of him. And he had a good year, good either senior post-grad year for North Dakota last year. And then when I saw that he was in Coralville, I thought, well, boy, with Peyton Jones and Hunter Jones, where you know, where's the playing time? Is this going to be something where if another offer comes up, he's going to be allowed to go somewhere else? But as seems to be the theme within the wild system, injuries kind of wreaked havoc, and that presented the opportunity for DeRitter. And like you said, he's taking the job, and he don't seem to want to give it back. Yeah, good for him. I mean, it just impressive the way that he has played for this club. So let's let's pick up Friday night, Kevin. Uh, scoreless first period. Adam Goodsirk scores his first fourth goal of the, uh, of the season. Excuse me, there fourth goal of the season. Twelve twenty-eight in the second to give Iowa the lead. Kalamazoo able to tie the game about fourteen minutes into the third. But Yuki Miura, a guy been with the organization from the very start. Uh, scores his fifth goal of the season with a little under two minutes left in the game to give the team the two-to-one victory. DeRitter with 31 saves in this contest. And as you talked about, a, a guy who came out with not a super amount of hype coming out of a, a fairly big university and for college hockey, but, boy, establishing himself as a guy that you just look at and you, you could feel like the team rallies around him. They, they just know that when he's in the net, they're going to get a solid performance, and he's really delivered for them. I wonder if that was his first game back in the state of Michigan since he left Michigan State. I don't recall North Dakota having – well, okay, they might have played Western Michigan last year, and maybe Dritter did play out there. So, you know, a homecoming of sorts for Dritter playing in Kalamazoo. So might have been a little extra incentive there, but, boy, yeah, like you said, you know, great game from him. And, you know, just enough scoring to get him the W. Especially, you know, on the third Saturday period. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Kevin. Go ahead. Well, they kind of held on for dear life in the third as they were all shot 13-4, but Dritter was the difference. 
Yeah, you're not kidding about that, Kevin. And it continued on into Saturday night, uh, a 3-2 to victory, this time an overtime victory for the club. They fall behind one nothing on a power play goal by uh, Josh Passolt, 13-18 into the first. Um, I will respond with two goals late in the sec- in the first period to wind up taking the lead. It's Gavin Hain with his first goal of the season, 18:38 into the contest, and then with a little under a minute uh, left in the first period, Ben Brickman scores his second goal of the year. Jake Durflinger with assists on both of those goals to help power the Heartlanders to the two to one lead. Uh, Kalamazoo able to tie the game in the second. Then there's a great goaltending battle after that between. Uh, DeRitter and Jonathan Lemieux both played very well in this contest. That sends the game to overtime where Casey Dornbach scores his seventh goal of the season to give the team the victory. DeRitter again, Kevin, 28 saves in the contest. And it's it's games like this, Kevin, that I look at and I think to myself, if if this is going to be a playoff contending team, and they're, they're right in the heart of that right now, just six points behind Indy, Going into this week's action, action, you you got to win those those two to one games, especially on the road. You got to get spectacular goaltending and come up with a big goal in overtime or a goal late to give your team some momentum. And I feel like this was a great gut check, and the team responded to it. You know, not to nitpick it though, you would have liked to have seen them get that win in regulation, especially if it's against a team you're chasing with Kalamazoo, because now you gave them a point, so. You only gained half the ground that you could have, but it's a good win. And, you know, I was kind of noticing Gavin Haynes back down from uh, Iowa Wild, and he gets his first goal to help his former North Dakota teammate out. Former Minnesota gopher Ben Brinkman gets his second of the year. And Brinkman wasn't exactly known for his offense in his collegiate days, so good to see him chipping in with the goal there. So Casey Dornbach at Assists from Louis Boudin and Brett Budgel. I mean, those are three guys that were playing earlier this year for the Iowa Wilds. So you got to think maybe with Iowa getting healthy again and not having the pole guys consistently from the Heartlanders, that maybe we're going to start seeing some chemistry with this team and see them go on the run. I want to say that for those who were who might be listening to Kevin's comments and thinking that you're nitpicking against that, um, the reality is is that you do have to win those games in regulation. And and I don't want to take anything away from when you come, you go to Kalamazoo and you take a, come away with four points. I mean that that's pretty awesome. I mean, you got to feel very happy about that kind of thing. But you are chasing Kalamazoo uh, currently as we're talking three points ahead of the Heartlanders right now. Um, for fifth place at that point. And, you know, if you're giving any points to a club like that, you know you're in some way hurting yourself still. So you want to always come away with two and they get nothing. And so um, I think you're making a fair point that needs to be considered. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, we're, we're talking about that a lot with the Minnesota Wild, too, that it's, it's really hard to make up points in this league with the way they have it with the uh, what you might want to call loser point. Absolutely. And let's talk about here uh, where the team is at. So the Indy Fuel have 48 points. They're in fourth place right now. Uh, if, you, if you're looking at it, 12 points away is is Wheeling in second right now. That's not 
a huge distance away with 29 games left, but you're you're probably looking right now at Indy or, or Fort Wayne, who have Fort Wayne's at 50 points in the third right now. But the Heartlanders enter 18, 19, and 6, 42 points and a 488 winning percentage. Um, they're going to come home for a big six-game stretch here, Kevin. Kalamazoo on Wednesday night comes to town here looking for a little payback, I'm sure. Then Cincinnati comes to town for two games. Cincinnati right now is a team, again, you're chasing the standings directly in front of you right now at 44 points. So the two teams directly in, above you, you have an opportunity to make some headway against it. That's, that's the clubs are going to face this week. Well, like we just talked about, you know, it's, it's, it would be big to try to get some regulation wins against these teams and try to make up some ground if you really, truly feel like you're going to be a factor in the in the playoff race. So, Kevin, a few, a few weeks ago, I think that these bottom quote unquote five teams in this division were separated by like two points. I mean, it was it was very close, and right now, only separated by eight. So it's not a, a huge gap between them. But we're playing playoff hockey right now. If you really get down to it, because you're going to be facing. I, I believe you and I looked at last week of these last 29 games. I think 23 of them are still in the division. So every game is a playoff game right now to get yourself in the playoffs. And so and you got to be thinking about if you have uh, three games at home and you're on a six-game homestand right now, especially with Indy coming to town after this, and then Wichita comes in, so seven-game homestand. Excuse me, I should say. I mean, you gotta almost feel like you gotta be five and two, you know, five one and one or something like that to really make a stand up for a playoff run. And I think just for your own confidence too, that you gotta establish that if you're gonna come into Coralville, that it's gonna be tough for you to come out with a win. And looking at the schedule, one thing I am for, feel good for as far as the Heartlanders go is that they do not have any more games with the Fort Wayne Comets. Fort Wayne picked up Daniel Amesbury, and he was suspended from the league he was in for just a crushing check on a player that left the player pretty injured pretty badly. Amesbury's nickname is Diamond Hands. <laughs> he has played in one game for Fort Wayne, just devastated the Kalamazoo player on the check. I checked that. It, it was clean, but it was devastating. Dropped the gloves, easily won the fight he was in. I don't know how much ice time he got, but, boy, you, you want to talk about an old-school kind of player, Daniel Amesbury. Unfortunately, unless they be in the playoffs, the Wild are not going to have to deal with this guy. Yeah, and at this level, sometimes the way you get yourself moved up is by being that intimidating force and that, you know, making a name for yourself in that way. So um, you definitely don't want to be on the recipient end of what, what Mr. Ainsworth is bringing toward you there. So. Yeah, Ainsbury's in his 30s, so I Ainsbury, I think he's probably, he's probably going to be maxed out where he's at. But, boy, if, if they keep trying him out on the fourth line or as an extra forward, they're just going to. He is definitely going to make a, his presence known for the Comets. Well, let's move up to the AHL club, uh, Kevin, and a 1-1 uh, week for the team. They travel out there to Henderson, get absolutely hammered on Friday night, 
in an 8-1 loss, but rebound very nicely on Saturday to earn a 3-2 victory. So um, Henderson, a team that has not been as good this year as they were in the last uh, previous two seasons, but uh, a slit on the road in a, in a tough Western uh, Pacific Division team out there to foe so, uh, is still a pretty good week for the Wild, especially the way they've been playing recently. Yeah, it was eventful. Um, <laughs> you never like to see a, a snowman hung up on you, but that was the case on Friday night. And I, it was a combo, I thought, of uh, Jesper Volstead. He was not sharp. And when you look at what he's been through, between his injury in December, uh, call-ups to Minnesota where they only needed him for one game, and then got down to Iowa, played like a game or two, and then a break came up. This is someone they need to – he needs to have consistent playing time just to, A, get back on his game, and, B, get himself groomed for the next level, which is obviously where Minnesota would want him even as soon as next year. So it was a real bad night, I thought, for the team and for Volstead on Friday. There were some goals that, you know, the – D-zone coverage wasn't there. but And even in the win on Saturday, both goals he gave up were leakers. But he went out to the AHL All-Star game in San Jose and made a good showing for himself there. So maybe that, maybe having success there will also get his game back on track. Yeah, one other thing uh, to mention about kind of the the, the travels of Allstead is uh, had to go to Sweden with the Minnesota Wild there too. So um, he, he's been around <laughs> quite the journey over the last couple of months for him out there. Gives up four goals in the first period, Kevin. Uh, one of those a power play goal. Um, Iowa able to get on the board to make this a, a, a three-goal game, but four unanswered goals to end the contest for Henderson, including two on the power play in that game. You know, you get blown out at times, and, and I, under, I understand that. I'm not going to make a big deal about a blowout kind of thing. I still am very worried about the special team for this club because they just have a very difficult time shutting down opponents' power plays. And, I mean, if you're going to be a playoff team, you've you really got to be able to do something when you're shorthand. And you hope getting Mason Shaw back would uh, help address that. And, well, it did on Saturday as Shaw had a – Huge goal in the third period, shorthanded, but you know it's a it's a work in progress. And the eight-one loss also led to a players-only forty-five-minute post-game meeting. So you know it's not like the guys in the locker room aren't aware of what's going on. Yeah, you need to get something going on here, with they? That, that seems to have an interaction or or some kind of. Um, Influence on Saturday night's game as they come away with a big three to two victory in this contest. It's Stephen Fogarty scoring his uh, ninth goal of the season to break a scoreless tie, one fourteen in the second. Sheldon Rempel ties the game up with a power play goal. Uh, about three minutes later, that takes the contest into the third, where Will, Will Butcher scores his fourth goal of the year, ten eleven into the third, a power play goal to give Iowa the lead. Then a great play by Mason Shaw. Uh, Iowa killing off a power play opportunity. He winds up making a nice block right near his own blue line, going the opposite direction on a breakaway, and is able to beat um, the Henderson goaltender, which I believe was Isaiah Seville, um, for his the shorthanded goal, his fourth of the season. 
Henderson able to get a goal with a little over two minutes left in the contest, but Volstead makes that one goal advantage stand, 21 saves in the contest, three to two victory. So uh, team meeting after a big route and the team responds to that. So um, there's still a lot of heart in these wild players. No doubt about it. And, you know, I'm, I think after my experience, being a quote-unquote media with, you know, our sports that we follow, American Association. I've become a much more stoic hockey fan and more of an observer than a roo-root-rah-rah guy. But I'll admit, watching on Saturday night, when when Mason Shaw scored that breakaway goal, shorthanded, only miles away from where his season ended last year, I... I have to admit, I was the arms were flailing away at home. I was, I actually got a little excited about that. So I was very happy for Mason Shaw. A little bit of poetic justice there, and you know, scoring that shorthanded goal, it, it shows that you know maybe maybe the speed is coming back for him a bit, and he's starting to find his game again. You know, I think one thing that's happened to you and I over the years, Kevin, is that. Um, we may not be as passionate about the team um, in some ways, but the players we're always extremely passionate about. We love to see them thrive. We love to see that story where a guy's had a bad injury and, and all of a sudden, you know, things turned around for him or where he's, you know, had a bad season and things get better or, or whatever. And, and to see Mason Shaw with all the struggles that guy's gone through, um, it's just fantastic to see. A big moment like that, especially when a team the team just desperately needs somebody to step up and and turn things around for this club right now, and to see a guy who's been the heart and soul of the Iowa Wild for a few years do that was really pretty cool. I think Captain Dakota Mermis is not going to be coming back to Iowa the rest of the season. I would like to see them appoint a captain for the rest of the season. I would like to see the C on Mason Shaw as it was to start last year before he ended the rest of the season with Minnesota. I know that's a well, uh, a very good idea, Kevin. I'm going to agree with that 100%. Well, Kevin, uh, the team returns home as Tucson comes to town. Uh, right now, the Iowa Wild in sixth place in this division. 15, 25, and 3 with 33 points, tied with Manitoba at the bottom of the division right now. Um, if you're looking at it, it's four points behind Chicago. That's what you're battling for here in the AHL as five teams make the playoffs. Um, so the big challenge, though, for the club, 43 games they played already, Kevin, while Chicago has three in hand. So you can't even take a risk of losing games right now because Chicago, all they need to do is get one more point than you do over the rest of their games right now, and they, they're going to be the, the team winning this division or getting that final play, playoff spot because they played fewer games. So um, a, a tough situation that Iowa Wild had put themselves into right now, and, and I'm just kind of curious as you look at this, what they have laying out here in the schedule even for this month is Texas they travel to after facing Tucson, then Rockford comes to town for a couple of games, then uh, three different teams to play over a five-game span with at Rockford, at Chicago, and in, at Grand Rapids. Um, I know we talk about we're going to know a lot about this team, at, you know, three weeks from now or something like that, but I just wonder if three weeks from now you and I are talking about 
20, 24, 25 at that point. Well, the good part about it, you know, as you mentioned with the upcoming schedule, it's all in their hands. After these two games with Tucson coming up this weekend, it's all teams within your division, and it, you know what? If they can't handle it, if they can't get the wins, then I guess, I guess all of the playoffs is where, unfortunately, they would belong. But that is the neat thing is that all these games will be within the division with a chance to crawl back into it. We'll see what kind of momentum was created from the win on Saturday night. We'll find out about that awfully quick. I believe, too, is that after these two games against Tucson, I'm going to check this out right now just to make sure what I'm saying is correct. Um, the only non-division games they will have now after these two are too late in the season when Hershey comes to town. And so uh, of the remaining, what do we have here, uh, 29 games, 25 are going to be in this division. So you really do hold your own destiny in your hand here because you're facing all the teams that are you're going to be battling for a playoff spot with. And in the big scheme of things, Kevin, even talking about fourth place for Rockford is that five points is not a lot of points. But, but I mean, this team's got to start developing some consistency, and that's been a problem over the last few years. It's unfortunate, you know, and with this franchise, it's, it's frustrating that very possibly the best team they've ever had was the 2019-20 team, which we never got a chance to get a conclusion to the season from it. But then it just seems like since then, like you said, I mean, it's been inconsistency every season. That is a great observation by you too, Kevin, because that 2019-20 team was unbelievably dynamic and. Jerry Mayhew and um, uh, Kyle Rao and Sam Ennis, I believe, was the center they had in that group. And that power play was spectacular. And they were looked like this was a team destined for greatness. January was a monster month for the team. And then the COVID thing shut down the whole league. And uh, uh, teams never really, I think, rebounded from that. So, um I, I don't know what it takes to wind up getting something going on here, but uh, the, I don't know what the Iowa Wild are, you know, what what it takes to get them to a more consistent level because since that 2020, they've just not been the same club. So that's you know, my take on it. I like, I like the deal to bring in Will Butcher. That, I believe, has helped. I and mean, he got the big goal on Saturday night. I know at the NHL level, there's really not a lot Minnesota can do to improve their season. There's not salary cap space to work with, but I just wonder, will Minnesota make some moves to bring in AHL-type players to help Iowa out to try to get into that last playoff spot? And, and at the same time, maybe it's a player that they've – have their eye on it. They want to get a look at that. They can they can get from somebody for um, you know for a low round draft pick or uh, someone that just doesn't fit into another team's plans. So 
be interesting to see on the at the trade deadline if Minnesota would make any moves with that in mind. Well, let's move up to the big club. And before talking about the Minnesota Wild this week, Kevin, um, NHL All-Star Game this past weekend, uh, you and I have talked a little bit in the show and uh, and a lot off the air about um, the direction of the All-Star Game itself. And so let's just talk NHL big picture for us here for a few moments. And uh, I mean, this, this, I know that they're trying to do things to make this a more exciting thing for fans to get into, but this looks to me like if you're not there watching the game, that it, it this is like just I might as well be sitting at watching a, a five or you know two teams of five guys in the neighborhood out playing street hockey in my cul-de-sac or something like that. It, it, it there's just not really the kind of excitement and enthusiasm I think that draws fans to really want to watch this thing. They thought they were on something with the three-on-three play, and I think even that's kind of worn itself out as it's become a lot more systemized now. So that gimmick has been tried, and then the drafting teams was something that was a little bit different. I don't think it made that much excitement but I frankly, I don't think there is anything that can be done to save the All-Star game at this point. And, I was, and my God, the jerseys for it were hideous. I looked on NHL shop today. All the jerseys from the All-Star game are already at half price. Usually you have to wait a few months after the game. No, right now, everything half price. Yeah, I just uh everybody's going with some kind of near highlighter color kind of thing. The NFL turned to that on those Thursday night games and I'm like these are the ugliest uniforms and I, I they're they're trying to be so unbelievably flashy with things that it's just not even enjoyable to look at when you're seeing the game now and uh, yuck. No, well, it, it, it just seemed like they, they just gave it to some kid to design uh, on, a, on, a, on a piece of art paper. And, and yeah, I get it. You know, there's a there's a market there, 18 to 24, that you're trying to appeal to. But, frankly, anything below that, you're trying to appeal to the kids. But the kids aren't the one buying the tickets. It's the adults. And if you're not appealing to right. the adults, it's, in the end, it's not going to work for you. Right. Well, Kevin, there was a picture out on Twitter that I knew you were not happy to be looking at. I found it very odd to look at this this weekend. I was okay when the Zach Parisi contract was bought out. It was it made sense at the time for Minnesota. Parisi had had some off years, and frankly, there was some wear on the tires. He seemed to have been rejuvenated with a couple seasons in New York. And, you know, I'm all right with that. His dad, JP, played for the Islanders at one time. So it was neat to see his son play in the same jersey as his dad once wore. But now that he has signed with Colorado, arch rival, heated rival of Minnesota, who they had an intense 
playoff series with in the spring of 2014. To see Parisi now in a Avalanche jersey, it just doesn't look right at all. I'm with you. It's one of the things I I get free agency and trades and all these kind of things, but they're just when you see a guy move from your team to a, a heated rival, you just look at that and go, no. You just can't do that. How can you hated this club for four or five years and now you're playing for them? That just seems wrong on every level. But yeah, it doesn't back seem right. Kevin reminds me, when, reminds me of what when Johnny Damon went from the Red Sox to the Yankees. Right. And, yes. Same thing with Roger Clemens. Yeah. It just yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, man? You're supposed to hate those guys. Well, uh, I, you know, Edmonton, in Zach's defense, there's only so many years left, and I suppose he's true. chasing down a Stanley Cup yet. I mean, he came close with the New Jersey Devils in one year, but hasn't been able to raise a cup yet. And I suppose out of the offers he had, uh, Colorado was, he felt, was the best chance for him to win a Stanley Cup. Very so true. They can't fault him for that. that. It just no, looks weird. No, not at all. <laughs> Yes, it does. Uh, Edmonton will be continuing their 16-game winning streak, looking to try to make that 17. They'll be in Vegas, I believe, tonight. I think are they, if I'm not mistaken. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna look that up right now. But I think that these Monday night, uh, yeah, Tuesday night as we're recording. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna even look that up. So as we're talking, it's one to one right now. Um, so. This of of Edmonton's schedule out there, I think, has the greatest chance of the streak being snapped. Uh, They have some, obviously, a little bit less stringent game than Vegas uh, later on in this week. So, could be if they get past this, I think that 19 is is pretty much in their sights right now. That they they should reach that mark. Uh, Vancouver, 8-0 and 2 in their last 10. Kevin and uh, it took a few years here, but Vancouver has really develop something special out there and and this isn't a club I I think that's a flash in the pan. I, I think they have a legitimate shot of, of reaching the finals. They've drafted well, they've picked up the right free agents and uh, the big trade went down with Calgary this week that landed them another piece too. So they're young, they're playing really well and we'll see if they can hold up through the grind of a playoff um the playoff season. Because really, there's not a lot of guys on that team that have that have been in a Stanley Cup chase, so that's going to be some uncharted territory for them. Now, as as recent as a couple of weeks ago, I thought San Jose was doing everything they humanly could to ensure they were going to be at least the, the the highest numbers of balls to get in to get the uh, top pick in the draft. But suddenly the team is playing a little bit better now. Um, what are we looking at? Four victories in the last six games and nine points out of the last possible 12 for them. Uh, move themselves into the second worst team out there. And, and I'm kind of wondering your thoughts out there. Why? I mean, I, I don't want to say why would you try to win games? Because that sounds wrong, okay? But 
it seems odd that all of a sudden this team has caught a little fire right now. Do, do they try to sabotage that, or do you keep trying to win, I guess, is the question. You know, it's so tough in the the salary cap era to just flat-out tank a season. It's not like, not like you can bring up 10 minor leaguers and then sit all your regulars. It just doesn't work like that with um, having to deal with salaries each each and every game. So I think what we are probably seeing with San Jose is a team with no pressure on them. They know they're not going to make the playoffs. They know they're a lottery team. They know on most nights that their the talent on their team doesn't measure up to who they're playing against. But, but you don't have that burden of having to win games to try to make a playoff spot. Sometimes you play a little looser and you play a little better. So maybe that's what we're seeing with the Sharks. The thing that stuns me about this team too, Kevin, is that they come out of the All-Star break with like nine straight days off. And they don't get back on the ice again until – February 14th when they travel up there to Winnipeg. And that's got to be a lot of rust with two weeks off, including the All-Star break, before you finally play well, the game again. I believe they played almost right up until the All-Star break. There are some teams that's that had the, whole, they had the whole week off before the All-Star game. There are some teams that played up to the break, and they'll have time off after the break. So it's just that was just their time to be off. Wow, that's a long stretch, though. A lot, lot, of, lot of time off for that one there. Uh, tell me, Chicago or San Jose with the worst record when we're talking a couple of months from now? I think it's going to be Chicago. I, it's just not a lot of lot to work with with that team right now. You know, as they constructed the team this year, you had a healthy Connor Bedard, you had Corey Perry, you had Taylor Hall. Granted, that's... Not enough, obviously, to make a playoffs, but it was enough. I think it would have made them competitive, but it hasn't happened. They're be looking at a lot of their younger players to step up and see what they have in the cupboard, so to speak. But I think in the end, you're going to see Chicago with the worst record, and I think magically, especially with the Winter Classic coming to Chicago next year, Magically, I think you'll see the Blackhawks have the first overall pick once again. Am I sensing a a fix is in the works, Kevin Luco is saying? I mean, come on. Everybody and their brother last year were predicting the Hawks were going to get the number one pick, even though I think Anaheim had the best, worst record. Well, the Minnesota Wild, Kevin, will begin tomorrow night, as you and I are talking here on Tuesday. They will begin in Chicago and then have Pittsburgh at home on Friday. And a lot of away games this month, so four, seven of the 11 games are on the road. Um, what What needs to happen this month of those 11 games for you to say this team should still be fighting for a playoff spot? Uh, with them all, <laughs> because frankly, <laughs> eleven or no. I listened to KFAN's Beyond the Pond on last Saturday, and Pat Micheletti said this team's going to have to go twenty-four and nine the rest of the way if they want to make the playoffs. 
Lou Nanny, when he was on with Dan Barrero today on KFAN, said 22-11. and 11. Either way, you're winning at least two out of three games. And I, I, I just think that's a tough task. So 24 wins, let's just say that number right there, would give them 95 points. As you and I are talking here tonight, um, so it is the eighth place team right now. Okay, so let's see. Man, I say, I, I, this is my lack of preparation, Kevin, jumping into today's show. I believe is there's three teams tied at 54 points with one of those not making Maybe two of those not making the playoffs. Yeah, two of those are one of those teams is not making the playoffs. With two teams tied at fifty four points, so St. Louis and Nashville. So right now, seven points behind that um, for that final playoff spot. Does St. Louis or Nashville get to ninety four points? Yeah, that's that's probably pretty likely. So that's that's uh, a pretty fair bet. Ninety five points, I think, makes makes the playoffs, and that might be the cutoff. So. 11 straight victories, Kevin says. Could be done. Edmonton's doing it, Kevin. So it could be done. Yeah, why not us, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, why not? Well, Kevin, that takes us to the end of the show here. And uh, do we have a potential Minnesota Wild all-star moment that stands out to you in history? I... This was, this was the 20-year anniversary of when the All-Star Game was in St. Paul. Unfortunately, I was not as into the Wild back then, so I did not actually attend the All-Star Game. As it was, the game was eh, pretty bland. There was not a lot of offense in it, but it was nice to see Minnesota represented with, I believe, two All-Stars, Philip Kuba and Dwayne Rollison. But I did attend, uh, you know, they had a really neat um, fan fest uh, in the week going up to the game. They unveiled the Herb Brooks statue outside the XLRG Center on the, I forget what direction, what side it'd be. They had an ice castle going, um, ice palace right next to the arena that was really popular. And it was right around the time when um, Miracle was released. So... You know, it was it was a good time to be a hockey fan, and I remember watching the All Star Game and then heading to a, with a couple of buddies up to Lakeville to see Miracles. So, yeah, you know, it was a it was a good time in Minnesota, especially for a hockey fan. That is an amazing, amazing story there, Kevin. I'd be like that to talk about those days. Kevin, thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure.